Well, an honor to stand with Davis and Kennedy, their baptism, uh, appreciate their families. And it was an honor last hour, the first hour, 930 service to baptize Aubrey uh, from uh, Dallas, Texas. A really cool story. Um, Daniel Wagner, it's really a tribute to Daniel and Carly and their love and investment uh, in our college students. And uh, she's been involved in our church for four years. And before she moved back to Texas, she wanted to take this public statement of faith, public commitment of faith here at FC, and we're super um, proud of that. Well, today we're beginning a new installment of sermons. Uh, we're calling it Courageous Questions. We're going to just get our feet wet a little bit. We just got two people very wet head to toe, but we're just going to, uh, metaphorically speaking, just going to dip our toes into the swimming pool today as we begin some uh, courageous conversations, uh, all based off of questions, common questions uh, related to faith in our day. And uh, we're still open. We're likely going to do, uh, we're going to have a couple of experts up here in future weeks, and we're going to um, maybe open it up for a bonus question as we move into the early part of the summer. So if you have something gnawing at you you'd like us to tackle, on, no promises, but we might, might do that um, in the weeks ahead. Courageous questions. Um, today what I want us to tackle is this question. Um, does faith in God, does it make sense? Does faith in God make sense? Uh, you've heard the expression, probably used it, uh, like a moth to a flame. You ever said that? Like a moth to a flame. Or you've heard somebody say that. Do people still say it today? Like a moth to a flame. And the idea, I may be guilty of over-explaining, but if there's a flame, a light, a candle, something right here, uh, LED, fluorescent, bulb, whatever it is, if there's a light right here and there's a moth fluttering, flying around, floating somewhere, what's going to happen? That moth is going to that flame. And I believe that that is you and me and everyone in the house and everyone watching at home or listening to this audio later. All of us are creatures of faith. Like a moth to a flame, you are created by God, whether you believe in him or not, you're created by God to go toward light, to go toward faith. You have faith in something. I would even say that you have a God. The question is, who, what is your God? Maybe what, that is a question, what is your God? Who calls the shots in your life? Where's your allegiance, your time, your money, your energy, uh, your gumption? Where, where does all that go to? Uh, that's your God. Follow that trail. It could be, um, uh, the Bible calls it idols. Uh, today in a therapeutic culture, we call it addictions. Both are true, both are real, but we all have faith. All of us have faith in something or somebody. As we look at this, uh, this series today, then the question uh, I, I want to put us all in categories. Now, I know the younger generation, you resist labels, but uh, everybody gets a label today, and I wonder where you fall, and maybe the category's not so clean and neat, nice and tidy for you, but some of us would say that, that we're believers. And if that's you today, of course, uh, you're, you're going to want to be at church, and, and you are here, and you uh, understand the creeds and some of the basic tenets of what... Um, is taught about God, and you would say, I am among them, I am a believer. One of my hallmark passages is found in the second chapter of Colossians for all the believers today. It says, as you have received Christ, how did you receive Christ? By faith. As you've received Christ, so walk in him. A few times in scripture, 1 Corinthians 9 and some other places, the metaphor is used as a race. We're running a race, but most of the time it's a walk. It's a daily walk. It's getting up. It's putting a one foot in front of the other and seeking to be, uh, to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a daily, it's a daily walk. But the thing about being a believer is it's not always so easy, is it? In fact, what I preached here before in a, a similar sermon than that you'll hear today is that a starting faith is not always a staying faith. 
So as you've received, if you are a believer, it would be my hope that you would be formed and shaped, that we would be a small part of it. We would teach, we would labor, we would admonish, we would love so that you would be shaped and formed and that your starting faith would turn into a staying faith. But it's not a upward 45 degree line, is it? It's, a, it's jagged. It goes back and forth and faith is that way. A second category would be beyond believers is, is, uh, is the non-believers. You are welcomed here. Whether you're mildly skeptical, um, whether you're deeply cynical, you are welcome here. Here's what I love about Jesus, the most revolutionary figure in human history. He never once encountered someone and people came to him. Understand this, people came to him. It was kind of a repetitive thing. They came to them with their doubts and questions. And not once do we have ever one account of, of Jesus saying, you doubted, I'm done with you. In fact, an early apostle of Jesus would say in this one little chapter, this one little letter tucked away, almost like it is back there by revelation. It says that the church ought to be merciful to those who doubt. Can we be that church? Can we give anybody in here a green light to, to, to have doubts and to express those doubts? Because that's our savior. It may not be a church tradition or faith tradition that you're, where you come from, but it it's it's ought to be the way of a Jesus following church. Come to me with your doubts. There's a guy named Thomas. What was Thomas known for? Y'all know? He was known for his doubts. There was a man who came to Jesus. Any parents in the house and you have a child in need, you're praying for that child. Anybody? Got to be some. And this man came to Jesus. His child was in need. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. After the resurrection, we just celebrated it last weekend in a big way. Uh, But we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus after he had risen, before his ascension, The scripture tells us that some worshiped and some doubted. And it's just that, it's just part of the human experience. So if you're a believer today, don't be cocky about it. Don't feel superior about it. You're on a journey and it's a long journey. And I hope that what started in faith will stay and remain in faith for you. A a third category, sociologists are telling us this. This is, uh, these are the nuns. This has nothing to do with Sister Act 2. But these are nuns and these are people that have no religious affiliation. Uh, no, it's a broad category, and um, part of my heartbeat in preaching and being a leader, a servant leader, is the reality that what sociologists are telling us is that uh, a lot of nuns today used to have a religious affiliation. And what I put before you today is uh, when a childhood, childhood faith comes up against adult-like experiences, it won't last now, I want you, all of you, to have a childlike faith. Do you know anybody with a childlike faith? Can I tell you, uh, I can't, I'm not naming people here, but uh, someone has a childlike faith, like you enjoy them being around the dinner table. You like to hang out with them. You love to hear their ideas, their curiosity, and their wonder, and their exploration, and their expectation. It's fun. That's a childlike faith, and you and I ought to have it. We, we let life itself drain the magic out of it, and it just becomes ordinary and so earthly and so mundane. But we should have a childlike faith. But a childhood faith just takes things in in an adolescent way, in a small-minded way. And then bumps up, brushes up against adult-like experiences. And that is not a faith that will make it. And many nuns are people who, and you hear me say this a good bit, it's been one of my themes in preaching, when we attach promises to God that he never made, then it's going to be easy to leave that faith. 
So it's why for me as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, we want to handle this word really, really well. We want to uphold its authority. For example, I've done this a few times, but let's say God is a deliverer. I want to preach that God delivers because I believe that he heals. I believe that part of your faith growing will see God answer your prayers and you'll say, God delivered me from. Guess what? I met with someone a couple weeks ago. God delivered them from something and he was elated and his family was elated. I was excited for him. God delivers. Sometimes God delivers you from something. Psalm 40. He delivered me from the miry pit. He picked me up out of the clay. I was down and he just delivered me from that. We need some deliver from stories. But sometimes Isaiah 43, he'll deliver you through something. The prophet said, I had to go through this fire. Look at me today. I don't want, I don't want this for you. I don't want it for me. We, we've got fires we've been through. We got fires that await us. We just don't know them. First Peter 1, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeals that you will have to go through. You will have to go through them. I never want to stand here and preach a prosperity gospel. I never want to stand here and give you promises. God said this and twist it for your or my own personal preferences because that is a childhood type of faith and it won't withstand the problems and vexations and, and, and just the stuff of life. Sometimes God delivers from, sometimes God delivers through. And then Hebrews 11, the last part of it, starting verse 39, sometimes God delivers later. Sometimes we'll just need to trust him. Sometimes we'll be looking for clarity. We'll want a light to shine here and God to tell us what to do and get us out of it. But we'll have to wait. It's part of the, it's part of the faith journey. The scripture teaches it. You know, not everybody does get healed. I know some of you resist that. Some of you would say, well, this preacher doesn't have much faith. But there, there are things like thorns in the flesh and stuff like that. And so we just have to walk in this world. So many nuns used to have a religious affiliation, but their childhood faith could not intersect with adult-like experiences. With the, the real world, we would probably say it more simply. Uh, Christopher Hitchens is a famous atheist. His books are in my office. I've read three or four of them. The Rage Against God was his best-selling book. He was diagnosed uh, with cancer in 2010, and the doctors told him uh, quickly that it was an aggressive form of cancer. He still had ideas to teach the world. He still wanted to get his ideas of naturalism and humanism. He wanted to get it out there. He wanted to argue with people who were deceived by faith. Remember we said last week related to the resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Uh, we're to be pitied. And Christopher Hitchens would say that we are to be pitied. So he still wanted to get his ideas. He wrote a book called Mortality. And in the book, he describes in, in his own words about his own life that doctors were saying to him, or he was saying, I'm sorry, the doctors were saying to him, hey, your body's fighting this. Your, your body is really, really giving this a challenge. Your body is putting up, uh, it's putting up a fight. And Christopher Hitchens writes about his own time in the hospital before his death. He said, quit saying my body's this, my body's that. I don't have a body, he said, I am a body. In his book, in his last days, that was his conclusion. Uh, I don't have a body, I am a body. Bertrand Russell um, wrote a famous book, philosophy book called Why I'm Not a Christian. And he describes looking forward to his imminent death, that it would be covered in gloom and darkness that there would be no vast expanse, there would be no splendor, there would be no light that awaits him. When he died, he expected it just to end. Let me ask you today, because remember our question, does faith in God make sense? Can I just ask you, do, do those two thinkers, uh, I'm not asking if they're brilliant or smart, because they are, trust me, but does that make sense to you? 
does that jive with you? Because if he's saying in mortality, if he's saying as a smart philosopher saying to these smart doctors, don't say my body, my body. The, he, what, the conclusion of that, if you play it out, the conclusion of that is that you're really not even real. And I just want to ask you today, does that jive with you? Compare Christopher Hitchens and Bertrand Russell with Shauna. She's not famous. She died a few years back. She was early in life diagnosed with a cystic fibrosis. Her lung capacity began to um, shrivel uh, with big concerns from her medical team. But I'm telling you, when you would go in the room with Shauna, all the doctors and all the nurses said they hadn't quite met anybody like her. Friends would come by to see her. She would talk about how God has prepared a place for her. They would say things like, oh, I just can't believe this is happening because that's what suffering does to everybody. I can't believe this. You're getting cut down in the prime of life. And Shauna's response is, oh, no, this is not the prime of life. We live in the land of the dying, but I'm going to the land of the living. And that is the prime of life. And he has prepared a place for me. Now, does Shauna's hopefulness prove that there's a God? No. But I think what it demonstrates is that the experiment of atheism flies. It cuts against the grain of the human dignity. That, that we're made for more. That, that indelible fixation within you. That there's something more. That yearning. Uh, atheism contradicts that. So remember the question we're asking. Does faith in God make sense? Let me ask you of those alternatives. What makes the most sense to you? This morning in answering this one question. Does faith in God make sense? I want to give you four misconceptions about faith in God. Here's the first one. Faith signifies believing things. For no sound reason. Circle the word reason. It was only a couple of years ago that I preached some of these, or this similar idea here. Acts chapter 17, if you have a Bible, I'd love you to open and turn there. If not, we're going to put it on the screen. Paul is walking around. Remember what happened in Acts? They waited in the upper room, kind of became a famous place. Women and men, all leaders, how many of them were there? 120 were waiting, and God told them to wait. The activist in the room, activist, sometimes you need to wait. And God said, wait, and he would perform a miracle. And it included language. It included fire and wind. And it included a movement that was very spiritual in nature. And it would, I would tell you, history would tell us, it's historically sound to say this, that it would change the world. And they would be filled with the Spirit, and God would light a fire under them. These were people who saw Jesus, who most of them knew that he had been resurrected, which is... I mean, that'll change you, won't it? Like there's no, nobody that's ever been able to pull that off. And Jesus did. And so they were followers of him. And it says that they were devoted to go into the temple. Y'all come to church. It says they were devoted to house to house. They, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. They became very generous. We have fights. Just get on Christian Twitter and we'll fight about social justice versus biblical justice and evangelism and all these things. And they didn't fight about any of that. They just saw needs and met needs. They just saw that, in fact, there was one point when it had reached a zenith and there were just, there there weren't needs that weren't being unmet there. But then a few chapters later, they grew. And if you've ever seen anything grow, we always think that's a good thing. But if any organization, if your family grows, you got more problems. If your, uh, if your business grows, you got more problems. If your church, you got more problems. Guess what? They had more problems. God will not shield you from problems. 
that he'll use them to shape you. But the church had problems. They said, hey, we've got to have some deacons in the house. We need these, these guys to preach the word and minister to prayer and we'll have these deacons, and they were fighting the Hellenistic Jews and others because needs weren't being met. And they were like, what about these and what about these? And there's this beautiful unity that takes place. Church, we ought to fight for that. It matters. We ought to not fight over the peripheral stuff and, and focus on what matters and, and follow that. And that's what they did. And in Acts 9.31, it says they enjoyed peace, that they moved along in the fear of God. We need some of that today. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They knew God was great, fear of God. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they knew God would be near. They knew God would nudge and comfort and guide and speak to you. They would convict you, would give you challenge. And that's how they began to live. And it says that they became known as the way because they followed in the way of Jesus. You see, it wasn't just a creed for them. It was, it was shaping them and becoming a way of life. The church became very diverse at Antioch where they were first called Christians. And they were black and brown and white-skinned leaders who were working and loving and serving together. But there was opposition. Because when good things come and something grows, you got problems. You have to address them. And when something good is happening in the world and you're upsetting the apple cart and the political, religious, and social conventions of the day, you will have opposition. And they had opposition. And that's just a little preaching to get us to where we are today in Acts 17. We're talking about reason, faith and reason. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, Athens, the center of Greek philosophy, think Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. Think about what do we do today if we're hanging out in our Athens or Oxford or Startville or all these sophisticated cosmopolitan places we hang out. Like, what do we do? We look at our phone and laugh at animal videos and share links and stuff like that. But they didn't do that. They looked at each other for the most part, and they talked about beauty and truth and justice. They, they would talk about what's the good life. Is there more to this life? What's the good life? And they would internalize it. They would interact with each other. So Paul's walking. So, so don't look back and think these people were dumb. Uh, the, the, the Christian faith was born among reasonable people in the marketplace of ideas, y'all. And here's Paul walking in Athens, and it says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he, here's our word, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And then look at the opposition. Some of us are too sensitive for this stuff. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. This is the marketplace of ideas. And here's what I want to say. I think your faith in Jesus, if you let it, it can stand up in the marketplace of ideas. You don't have to breathe heavy. By the way, and young Christian especially, nowhere in Scripture does it tell you to argue someone into faith. Nowhere in here does it say you need to know everything. Nowhere in here does it say you need to have all the answers. In fact, it's a wonderful, magnetic virtue of humility when you say, I don't know. My wife encourages me to say that more around the house. It's kind of sexy for her. So I'm just, yeah. But when you say to somebody, I don't know, that's a really good witness. It really is. And here's Paul in this marketplace of ideas. So let me recommend in talking about um, this misconception that we think... um, the significance of faith that doesn't have sound reason. There's a book written by Rodney Stark called The Triumph of Christianity. This is going to mirror a little bit about what I said about Jesus and the early followers on Easter Sunday just a week ago. But Rodney Stark in his book 
the triumph of Christianity, he talks about faith and reason by way of contrast. And he says this, that faith, I'm paraphrasing slightly here, but he says that we think of faith in history and real places and real cultures where there was a marketplace of ideas. We think of faith as following the authorities no matter what the evidence says. And we think of reason as following the evidence no matter what the authorities say. You with me? You with him, Rodney Stark? Trying for, so faith, we follow authority no matter what the evidence says. Reason, we follow we follow evidence no matter what the authorities say. So where was Christianity? Can I just tell you real quick? You read more about it in this book. Rome had wealth, power, money, and authority. What did Christianity have? Just a fledgling group of small people. Um, largely poor people. But they had generosity and they had humility and they had compassion. But above that, they had a resurrected Savior in Jesus Christ. And so it is mind-blowing to me to think about the reasonableness of the faith of Christianity when you think about, and, and we preach this a little bit on Easter, sorry for the retread, sorry, not sorry, but these first century, these women and these men, they suffered persecution, many of them suffered execution. I stood here last Sunday on Easter Sunday and told you about Philip and James and Matthew and Mark and how they died, how history tells us how they died. I, I felt like you could only stomach four of them, brutal deaths. These first followers of Jesus, their lives was changed by a man. When he talked about faith, he talked about fruit, life change, transformation. And they experienced it. And so they were able to have the boldness and the reasonableness. And it withstood the marketplace of ideas. Everyone should, I I put it in front of you, everyone should face that question. How in the world was this movement with these small band of people able to grow and able to come out of the fact-checking marketplace of ideas in that day? It was robust and it was from above. And so we'll, we'll, recap, these, we'll recap these misconceptions uh, in a moment. Here's what, Christian, here's what Rodney Stark said. The Christian understanding of how things are did not grow by avoiding rational consideration through the imposition of authority. It grew by inviting rational consideration often in opposition to authority. If just five of you appreciate that, that'll make me feel happy. Misconception number two, you can't believe in God if you believe in science. I was with someone not long ago and he found out I was a pastor. I knew, I knew he wasn't a person of a religious faith anyway, um, he would be in the non-believing category, and I knew that. And he, then he found out, because he asked me, he found out I was a pastor, which is, can, can oftentimes be an odd turn in the conversation. And he said something that struck me, and he said, uh, man, it, that must be a difficult job nowadays, you know, with, uh, and I didn't know where he was going. He goes, that must be a diff- difficult job nowadays, you know, with all the science and stuff. Direct quote. And so silently, he didn't know this at the time, but silently I put a voodoo hex on him. So he, uh, he's been cursed ever since, and a lot of calamity has befallen him. But, uh, hey, for real, what is science? In fact, can I just say to you, young Christian, young person of faith especially, everybody, but the young people especially, you don't have to uh, be ashamed of your Christian faith. It stands up to science. And here's what f- science and faith have in common. They both are searching for truth. And they're both better when you, they have curiosity and wonder, when you really want to know the answers. And there's this humility and, and let me go back to it, childlike, not childhood or childish, but childlike wonder about it. They're both better if you seek the truth. Let's contrast it this way. 
Faith is about transcendence and science is, it's more technical. Faith is transcendent, science is technical. So think about, if you will, think about our language. If someone says to you, I bet this is happening, if someone ever says something like this, uh, I had a spiritual moment. Now, I don't know if they did or not, but what does that mean? If someone had a spiritual moment, you can't put that on a spreadsheet. Do you feel me? So let's say uh, someone, and this happens all the time, there are people in business. They run hard. They make money. They're doing really well. They're just going hard in business. It's, it's their life. And then they find themselves stopping, maybe, and asking, what are we doing this for? What, why are we putting our energy into this. Can I tell you that answer to that question won't come on a third quarter financial page. You with me? So there's, so there's language of, there's language of reason and there's language of faith. Uh, A couple of more illustrations here that are pertinent. Let's say that you ask me, we're just pretending here, but let's say you ask me, Hey, why did you marry Susan? And pretend that my answer to you was this. I said, well, she was 5'8". She was born in Montclair, New Jersey, and she drove a red sporty Nissan. That would be, let's all agree, a strange answer, which I'm full of. But that would be a really strange answer, wouldn't it? Uh, I gave you, but listen, look at, listen, stay with me. I gave a technical answer. All three are true. That was a technical, factual, actual response. But that wasn't what you're looking for. Because remember your question, it wasn't, stay with me, it wasn't a scientific question in nature. But it was just as real as anything you would find in a lab. You, you asked me why I fell in love with her. But what if, pretend, I said to you, my response rather than that was, I finally found someone who was my other half. You go, okay, that's pretty good. I'm getting very close to that Jerry Maguire quote, but I didn't want to go there. Very, very close. I mean, I'm right on the edge, but not going to do it. Just not I'm, not, I'm better than that. But you would say, hey, that's okay. Yeah, right? And that's, that's, what, that's what you wanted. And that speaks to it because we're talking about love. And the human experiment, quoting C.S. Lewis, sometimes you need science and sometimes you need songs. And so we need the textual, factual technical stuff, but we also need the poetic. We need poets and we need philosophers and we need theologians. We need people to speak to our hearts. In fact, some of you that are running and gunning in science or in business, like it's the, it's the stuff of the heart. It's love. That's, can I just tell you, that's why you're doing it. That's why you're doing it. it it's love. So there's something there, but both are very much real. Okay. Another illustration, you're driving and your car begins to make a noise. It begins to make a very unpleasant Uh, dinging sound what do you do well you pull into a car mechanic that mechanic comes out he lifts up your hood and let's just pretend because that's what we're doing now let's pretend that the mechanic says you know your car is in a bad mood today it needs to it's got some issues well that is not a satisfactory answer because what are you looking for you're looking for hey what's the problem with the car what are the replacement parts needed and how much it's going to cost with emphasis on how much is it going to cost and what do you want? You want technical. You want, you want scientific. You want factual. It's the same thing. A ton of categories. If you're flying, 
with or without a mask, you're flying, and that plane is about to land. Like, you, you want all that stuff to work, and you want those guys up there to be very, very technical, as were the mechanics on the ground. If you're filling your prescription, you want them to be very, you're not looking for love, you're looking for the right dosage. And you want your car fixed. But if you come to me asking me why I fell in love with Jesus, well, Susan and Jesus, um, in that order, Jesus, yeah, um, you want something from, you want something from the heart. Science is this. Science is good at the external world, height and weight and depth and gravitational pull and electromagnetic force. But faith is good at the interior stuff. It's love. It's loss, it's pain and suffering and compassion and, and kindness. Both are searching for truth. Both are equally important. Both are very important parts of the human experience. But they answer very different questions. Paul would say it like this, a brilliant man. Sometimes we look at the church and go, they were uneducated fishermen because there's a portion in the Acts where it says they were uneducated fishermen. And they said, hey, these men, they don't have any education, but they've been with Jesus. And we're like, yeah, he uses dumb people, you know. And uh, he does, which I'm grateful for. But he also picked out a guy, Paul, who might be the most brilliant mind ever. And he used him in a great way. And Paul would get to the point where he was explaining things. And like, you know, and you understand, do y'all know about Paul? Like very, very smart people, very smart people in this town and all around the world devote their lives to studying Paul. Are you with me? And Paul got to a place in, in Ephesians 1, he said, this is three, but in one, he goes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Listen to me. If you are a non-believer today, you're so welcome here. And can I just say this? This is not an attack on you. It's an invitation for you. It's an invitation. Let me be clear that you, that the real God, you would give the real God a real shot to change your life. And Paul would say this in the first chapter, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, Paul, what's that? that that's not, it's kind of weird science there. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened or enlightened. And he says this, this is the second prayer in this great book of Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit and in your inner being. This is the part. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is the Christian faith, is following Jesus the only person in the history of the world who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off? Is it reasonable? You better believe it. I believe that it is. Different people come to different conclusions. I understand that. But I believe it's very reasonable. Paul's saying, I'm getting to a point, this love is so great that I'm experiencing that I can't even, I'm running out of words to describe it. And I want that for you. He's saying that. And I'm saying that today. I'm plagiarizing Paul saying that to you. The prophet Isaiah would say this, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. This is our God. This is our God. He has created. The psalmist would say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night by night, they reveal knowledge. In other words, you're going to get this from me at least a few times a year. We find truth in Scripture. No other book like it. But you learn, you and I ought to learn truth. This says it, that we learn truth from science. God is speaking. 
He created and he's speaking through his creation. So with curiosity and wonder and expectation and exploration, we study the scriptures. We study science. We look at our world. The scriptures themselves say God created. What did he create? Your eye, the human eye. Your human eye, and some of the, your human eyes are closed right now. I'm deeply offended. Wake up. Just nudge somebody. You're, I'm kidding. Your human eye right now, it's made of some two million parts. Are you kidding me? How many of those can you name? Let's try it. Pupil, retina, the lens, the cornea. Proud of myself there. Got the cornea. All right, I named four parts. There's two million parts to the human eye. The human ear can hear some 4,000 distinct noises our dogs probably are better but we can hear some 4,000 distinct noises at a span of 10 different octaves and it's able to tell the subtleties in like the difference between a violin and a viola that's the human ear the human heart in the average lifetime will pump some 1 million barrels of blood through its system let me just stop for a second because we're talking about is faith in God a creator is it does it make sense that's what we're talking about today remember our question and I just want to ask you, do you marvel at this? And do you see, do you sense, do you, have you concluded that this is some product of some evolutionary process that's taken billions of years? Or do you sense that maybe, just possibly, you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made? Some of us more than others. Uh, the 930 service, there was a guy on the front row with like a V-shaped torso. He looked like a Greek god. He, he gave an amen when I said that. But uh, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. But, I mean... You draw your own conclusions, but I would say this. If you are walking through South Dakota, you're backpacking, you got your backpack on, you got the poles. Y'all hike with the poles? I went with a guy one time, he didn't bring the poles. I'm like, dude, you know, you don't have the poles? And I uh, felt bad for him. But, you know, you got the poles, you're hiking, and you call, all of a sudden you come up on this stone mountain. And uh, on the stone mountain, let's just be crazy here, there's like four depictions, perfect depictions of uh, former presidents. Let's say uh, Washington. Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln, what would you conclude on your hiking trip? You would be like, who did that? Because of its design, because of its complexity, because of its intricacy, because there's a poet, there's an artist behind that. Does faith in God, does it make, does it make sense? Here is um, us. This is earth. And you see where we are. And there is our, our son. And at the first service, I had a, a guy on the front row who threw me this. But um, if the earth was a basketball, should I? Yeah. Hold on. Give me a second. No, well, whatever. All right, I pulled it off at the first service. But anyway, Ron. Yeah. If the earth, no, I need it back. That was too soon. If the earth's a basketball, I forgot, I, I got so excited about spinning it that I forgot to illustrate with it. But if the earth was a basketball, uh, 1.3 million of these would fit into the sun. So you would, uh, by way of illustration, everybody would have to clear the church house. We could fill this, we'd take out the pews, take out the communion cups, take out the, everybody leaves, everything. And we fill the church sanctuary up to the roof. And we go over to Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium and fill up the stadium when JSU ain't playing. And that's, that's the earth. And the, that's the earth in the sun. Stay with me. And there are some 200 million suns in the galaxy and some billion plus galaxies. 
That's our creator. So when Isaiah and them who had limited scientific knowledge back in the day, think of Genesis and uh, think of the prophet Isaiah, you know, when, when the Bible speaks scientifically, it always gets it right. Always gets it right. The prophet Isaiah in the 55th chapter would talk about the word going forth. He's speaking spiritual. He's not trying to be scientific. But he talks, his, talks about how the rain comes down from heaven, the snow from earth, and comes up and waters it again way, way long before Doppler weather radar and Barbie Bassett and Jim Cantori and all this stuff that we have today. He scientifically gave us evaporation long before anybody knew it. And so the scripture itself is reasonable. When it wants to be scientific, it's on the money. Does science, uh, this question is common, and if we get a few more responses, we may try to tackle this. I'll have to have a couple of experts up here with me. But does science, do the discoveries of science and evolutionary biology, doesn't it dismantle the Genesis story of creation? Well, I won't answer that today, but I will recommend the reading of a book by John Walton. John Walton, not the Walton from... I might need y'all upstairs to uh, operate this if I'm John Walton. Let's go back. Uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1. He does, I think, the most brilliant job of talking about what's history, what's poetry, what's literal, what's metaphorical, and answers this question as well as anybody I've ever seen. And if I do have to preach this, I'll uh, I'll refer to him a lot. I'll be uh, deeply indebted to him. The skies declare... Day by day, night by night, they pour forth speech and reveal knowledge. God uses scripture. I mean, heck, y'all know he can use an atheist at a bar to tell, give us truth. He can use a donkey to speak truth to us. Uh, but science and faith are not at odds. One is technical. One is transcendent. One is science. One is song. One is, one is external world. One is internal world. And we need them both. If a plane goes down then someone's going to want to know. They're going to want to have a talk and an investigation with the Federal Aviation Administration and the National Transportation Safety Board. But there's going to be families who've lost loved ones, and they're going to want to talk to a counselor, to a therapist, to a pastor, to a friend. Why? Because we've got to make sense of the tragedy. It's not just the facts and the technical reality of it. It's the philosophical one because we have a soul. Last one, i got to be fast. Faith, and Lauren, you guys come on and begin making your way up. Faith is only about tradition, preference, or opinion, or knowledge. Here's the thing about Jesus. Y'all know this. This verse that I'm about to put up has been put on more university campuses, medical schools, and all than anything ever spoken. Jesus said this in John 8. He said, then you will know the truth. Know the truth. Not preference, not opinion, not tradition, but you will know. In other words, there's darkness, and then light pervades something came upon you and now you know that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free jesus wasn't a a hippie walking around the palestinian you know ancient world of palestine dispensing helpful advice he claimed to know god he claimed to be god he claimed to know what life is about that life is about love and the good life is a life that is sound and reasonable and he says i want you to know this and probably Hosea, prophet of old, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. First Peter, one of my faves here. Second Peter, first chapter. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. You got faith? Good. Add some goodness to it. My wife loves it when I add goodness to my life. It's just a good thing. People are blessed if you're growing in goodness. 
but add to your goodness knowledge. So I hope this comes across the right way. I don't want it to be misunderstood, but let me tell you my story. I'm obviously passionate about it. But for me, it's a chair right back there. And it's a library and it's a books and it's a Bible because no other book is on level with this book. And it's taking time to move away from the crowds to put my phone on the other side, especially if my dog is with me because I don't care about y'all. If I got my dog with me, the phone doesn't matter. And I'll just, I'll read and I want to give Jesus time to speak to me and to bring truth into my life because I want to do this. I I want my faith, I want my faith, which is transcendent. I want it also to be a learned faith. I want to grow in my knowledge of God and the world and my inner being. I want to learn how to interact with my fellow man. I want to learn how God has created a world that's orderly, that's vast. I want to add to my faith goodness and to my goodness knowledge. And it takes time to read and learn. I want to ask you today, I want to challenge you today. Now, I know this. I said this in the first service. Here's the American church in the South. Well, I'm not going to that church anymore because you know what? I don't get fed. I don't get fed. If you've ever said that to me, it's kind of awkward now, but... uh, My job is not to feed you. My job is to create a hunger for you to learn on your own and in community with other people. And if you're going to hear one talking head speak once a week to feed you, and then you're on social media eight hours a day, and you're reading about people deconstructing their faith or attacking the faith, you will not add to your faith goodness and you will not add to your goodness knowledge you just won't and so find a chair and find a place and open up the word and get help and do it in community I want this I want this for you real fast y'all stand that'll let you know I'm serious Luke would put it this way so that you may what know the certainty of the things that you have been taught the last one Christianity is about getting everything right it's just not it's you know what it's about what is Christianity about our faith is about not getting everything right it's about growing in love and here's how he would put it now about food sacrifice to idols something controversial let's put it this way now about masks and vaccines we know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up those who think they know something but do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. And all of your searching for knowledge, I hope it leads you to love. Because that's the way of Jesus, and that's what we need. And so when people talk to me about my faith, and I have an opportunity to talk to them, I point them to places like this. The beauty of creationists, the vastness of space. Oh, the life of Jesus. The first century witnesses, the spread of Christianity. The sacred text. You ever read that it's only with the sacred text? You start reading it and you find that it reads you. No other book like it. The truth will set you free. And Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. C.S. Lewis says, the outer world ought to judge us. They ought to judge us how we're living. Because Jesus said that. You will know them by fruit. What's our fruit? What's your fruit? What is our fruit? We ought to be judged. How are we doing? Because to follow Jesus is to take that seriously because faith to Jesus is fruit. It's, it's the, what we see from our lives. And I tell you, the movement of God in my own life and what I've seen time and time again is not, the answers aren't satisfactory um, in science alone because we're more than that. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this morning. Bless 
the word preached and I pray that it would go forth that we would you'd create within us a learning community to care about knowledge and that we would uh, be a people to understand the bigness of our world but the smallness of, 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 of the reality of our lives yet you care for us so this, these weeks ahead uh, I pray in the midst of summer travel and stuff that we would take part right here or tune in and learn and grow in Christ we pray amen we're running late y'all give me this right come on we don't do it often but uh, here's what we're doing leaders are going to uh, come to the elements and uh, they're going to run they're going to um, be at the stations here and this is our practice once a month to lead us in communion this is what Jesus said that followers of his do this do in remembrance of me it's not about denominational affiliation or church membership it's about have you made a confession of Jesus if if you're not sure where you stand, you don't have to take part. You don't have to do anything. Uh, we're going to let you go in just a minute. But Lauren's going to lead us. We're going to sing. And we're going to do this in remembrance. So today, you come and you follow the person in front of you. You'll take a cup. It'll be the, the juice. It'll be representing the blood of Jesus. And you take the bread, the other cup, and it'll be the body broken for you. And we'll do this in remembrance. It's a time for me uh, to say it's a serious act of worship, but it can be a joyful time of worship. One of the things I do is take the elements first and sit on the front row and watch some of you walk by. I even speak to some of you because it's joy for me to see that you're here and a joy for me to know that we have a Savior. And that's the thing that we have in common. It's not our strengths. It's our weakness and the weakness that, um, that our sin brings. And praise God, we have a Savior.